Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome back to another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado. With me, as always, is beaverblitz.com beat writer carter baines carter we are sitting here sunday after the beavs win over stanford sixth win bowl eligibility how you feeling about that game still trying to digest it 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 honestly hasn't really sunk in yet that oregon state's bowl eligible but um first time in eight years man it's been a long time coming and uh, there's been multiple coaching changes since oregon state was last in the postseason uh, we know how much has changed in the world since then. And it's, it's just kind of bizarre that like, like it's happening, you know, like this is, this is what Oregon state's been working towards. And, and now we're finally here. Um, so it, it hasn't totally hit me yet that the Beavers are bowl eligible, but I think it will um, as the remainder of the season goes on. And we realize that after they play Oregon, there's still a month left of the season. Isn't that, okay. So you told me, I was down in the press box yesterday with you. And you told me you'd never been to a Beaver Bowl game. That's correct. Okay, because you are a, you're you're a youngin, in Beaver in Beaver world, you're a youngin. Because I think I heard something today that the Beavers have only been to twenty two bowls total since World War II. So, bowl games are few and far between for for Beavers. Um, I haven't been either in years and years and years because. These, the, the last kind of chunk of bowls that the Beavers were in, I was home with little young kids. And so Eric made those trips to those bowl games to cover for Blitz. But I think it's going to be a team Beaver Blitz travel travel uh, December this year as the whole crew is going to have to go. It's, it's squad goals right now. I'm all aboard. <laughs> I'm, I'm more than ready. Uh, the last time Oregon State was in a bowl game, I was in middle school. That, so that that just goes to show uh, how long it's been. Um, I'm, I'm more than ready to go. And, you know, quite frankly, if, if they end up in El Paso or Las Vegas, I, I really couldn't care less. I, I just want to go watch some football in December and see this team play, you know, a non-conference opponent uh, in, in a game that actually, you know, kind of means something. I, I think a lot of bowl games out there don't mean much to some programs, but um a bowl game for Oregon State, regardless of what it is, is going to be very meaningful. Yeah, let's, you know, I, I was, I was, I was going to save this till later on in the pod, but I think it, we're we're talking about it. So let's talk about it. How important a bowl game is, and and you and I talked about it before hitting record. Uh, Eric and I talked about it last night on the way home. This isn't just a let's go party and celebrate that we had a winning season. The importance of a bowl game for someone, a team like Oregon State, it, it can't be overstated because this is. It's 15, up to 15 additional practices um, that the team will get. And that's, that's a spring camp right there in December. So that's young guys getting more work. Um, it's a lot of development. And for a team like Oregon State that really relies on the development of guys, talk about how important that is, Carter. Well, I'll tell you what. One thing in particular that I think um, th- this could really help Oregon State out is if they decide to elevate Trent Bray to the full-time defensive coordinator position, or if they go out and um, find a defensive coordinator before the bowl game, you've got additional practices to work in your scheme and then, you know, figure things out on that side of the ball. 
Uh, I, I mean, it's, it's rare that, you know, you go out and make a hire that early on in the off season, but it could certainly happen. Um, you know, we see interim coaches coaching in bowl games all the time. So who knows what happens there, but uh, Oregon state getting multiple weeks of practice leading up to that bowl game, as you said, is it's just massive. And it's something that Oregon state hasn't had in eight years. Uh, and it, it really does make it easier to kind of take that next step when you're getting, um, three weeks of practice that frankly half of the country isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's always kind of the chicken and the egg. Um, and these teams that probably could benefit the most from those extra 15 days of practice are the ones that aren't getting it, the, the teams that aren't in the bowl game. So I know that was something that coach Erickson always stressed, coach Riley always stressed was that was more important than any bowl game or bowl game swag or anything else um, is just those practice sessions. Let's, let's rewind because it has been a busy, busy week of, of Beaver news. Um, last week when we taped the podcast, you and I, uh, we were actually pretty, pretty spot on with our assessment of the Beaver defense so much so that both of us thought it was time that, um, coach Smith look at making a change in the defensive coordinator that happened. So we posted the podcast, I don't know, mid afternoon last Sunday. And then by about six 30, we get news that coach Smith had made that difficult decision to part ways with Tim Tibisar. What were your thoughts? Were you as surprised as I was that Coach Smith made the decision when he did? Yeah, I was a little surprised. I'm not going to lie. I, I figured that I figured that change would come. Um, I, I think that we just had reached you know a tipping point, but I figured it would probably be in the off season. I, I, I honestly was a little surprised that that Smith went ahead and made that decision in the middle of the in the middle of the campaign, but. I think it was for the best, you know, because then you do give Trent Bray a chance to prove himself. And he's got three weeks to show that if he can field a really strong defense, I mean, that's, that's three weeks right there of, of proven production that could potentially land him the job. Um, I, I was surprised, but I, I think it was for the best. I, did, did it make you finally realize that coach Smith really did understand the levity of the situation and that the Beavers were actually in the mix and playing for something special. Yeah, because you know, like Smith was never going to throw guys under the bu- under the bus. He was never going to call coaches out or anything in particular. But um, I, I think you know he had hinted towards recognizing that defense was a major issue. Um, but it was really good to see him actually make a, a tangible decision uh, to kind of prove that he recognized the gravity of the situation. That you know, Oregon State was a good defense away from being eight and two right now, if, if we're being honest, I mean, they go and beat Cal in Colorado. They're sitting at eight wins. It's uh, and, and I think, I mean, I, I was thinking back, so this, you know, this is coach Smith's very first head coaching job that had to be, I, I don't care what job you're dealing with making personnel decisions like that and, and firing someone is, is never easy. I, I would have to think that was probably one of the toughest decisions he's had to make toughest things he's had to do. Um, I think we forget how much time these coaches spend together. I mean, they are like a family, especially at Oregon state where the, the wives and the kids all get to know each other. Um, and they're together a lot. So that is a tough, tough call. Um, I know I could be a little critical, but I, I think I've said this time and time again in my 15 years at Beaver Blitz is that my, my philosophy on this is that I, I tend to not be harsh or too hard on players. And I, I put that onus on coaches because I feel like coaches, A, they recruit these players to play. And second, they're making a lot of money 
to uh, get these players ready to play. And if what they're coaching and what we're seeing day in and day out is not working, then that's on the coaches to figure out a different way of coaching it or change the system up. So I, I, I apologize if I came across as too harsh, but um, the reality is this is not an easy profession. And um, gosh, you look at the SEC, some of those guys can't even make it a year without uh, being shown the door. So anyway, it's, it's an interesting um, predicament. And I was shocked too, to be honest. I thought Smith would make a change, but I thought it would be at the end of the year, um, end of the season. Um, let's talk, let's just jump in then and let's talk about the Oregon State defense this, this week against Stanford. Stanford was on their fifth string quarterback. I think even like a sixth string came in at some point. Um, what were your thoughts, Carter? I know we were up in the box kind of talking throughout. What are, what are your initial thoughts of the very first Trent Bray defense? Well, the first drive of the game set the tone for sure. Oregon State goes out and enforces the three and out on the opening possession. And then that really just carried over the rest of the game. Uh, Stanford, I believe, was scoreless through did they score at the end of the first half or did they uh, go midway the... midway no they didn't was I, okay. it was 14-0 at half because we just That's rewatched right. the game 14-0 right. at half because Oregon State to... punched it in at the end of the first half and then remember they scored again in yep. the second yep I was trying to figure out when those first points came yeah um so yeah that that first drive like I said really set the tone for not only the rest of the first half but the entire game really um Oregon State goes and forces three turnovers they hold Stanford to, I think it was one of five on third down in the first half. And while I'm talking here, I'll pull up the game long numbers. Four, four, of, four, four of 11. Of 11. Yeah. Stanford goes four of 11, which is, I, I mean, much better than the 51% uh, Oregon State was giving up on third down entering the game. So all, all in all, just the, the production was there. And I think a lot of that stems from the schematic changes that Trent Bray brought this week we saw a lot of um, a lot of interesting formations we saw a lot of blitzing on third down Oregon State actually opened in a and it was a, a modified 4-2-5 defense with the the two defensive ends actually being outside linebackers um, they fell back into a, a, a standard 4-3 with three inside linebackers behind four defensive linemen saw a lot of different looks and uh, quite frankly, they, they all pretty much worked about as well as they could have asked for. Yeah. I mean, because think back to the last, I mean, just think back to the last three, four weeks um, under coach Tibisar, it seemed like Oregon state was basically in their base three man front kind of always. And then we saw some blitzes, but never, um, you know, we saw, we saw sometimes where Oregon State was full up on the line this week and then backed back into coverage. Um, we saw two man, two man fronts at some points. Um, I'm just looking real quick at the, there were three tackles for loss and four quarterback hurries. That's been another area the past three weeks that Oregon State has really, really struggled is to get any kind of pressure. Um, yeah, we were, and Oregon State defense was in man a lot more than we've seen the past several weeks. Um, so, we talked this week that we wouldn't probably see huge wholesale changes, but it had, a I, th I thought, I thought look. we did to yeah, be honest, you know, and the, the coaches and players throughout the week mentioned to us that at the, you know, at the daily press conferences, you're not going to see a whole lot of differences, mm -hmm. you know, schematically, it's going to look pretty much the same. We're just going to put guys out there in, in positions to be successful and hope that 
Coach Bray brings a bunch of energy to the defense. What I saw was a totally different look schematically yeah. where you're throwing different formations and interesting blitz packages. And, you know, you, you go from one play, you're sending six guys onto the quarterback and the next play you're dropping eight into coverage. It was, yeah. there was just a lot of, there was a lot going on and it was, um, it was definitely a detachment from what we had seen the first, what, nine games of the season. Yeah, no, it was. And you and I, a few times in the press box, would look at each other and go, wait, was that just, did we just see a 4-3? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, it was, it, it was, um, I, I dare say we saw some swagger on defense as well. And um, so I rewatched the game. I, I always like watching the, the broadcast too, because you can see some different things. Um, seeing Trent Bray, we, we asked about this, we were sitting down and we had to look it up in the, in the game notes, but Trent Bray was actually on the sideline, which is different than Tibisar. And, and, and mo- a lot of defensive coordinators want to be in the, in the booth because they want the eyes. Um, Trent was down there. And I, I figured we would see Trent Bray down on the sidelines. I think that's where he excels, but uh, the camera kept flashing on him during the, Oh, he was uh, Keontae Shad's fumble recovery. He was like first to greet him on the, on the sideline with a, with a chest bump and, um, energy and we, we heard that in the post-game press conference over and over and over again um the energy and you trent, so i go ahead yeah i was gonna say trent bray is the most energetic coach on the staff 100 percent, and that's something that i've you know noticed throughout my years covering practices too is that he is the one guy who's sprinting from drill to drill um and and oftentimes his players are following him you know yeah, if yeah. He, he he exudes energy and the guys that he's coaching kind of follow in his footsteps. And so when he was named the interim, I said, there's a real chance that this defense plays like it's hair that's on fire. Uh, and uh, that's, in my opinion, kind of what we saw this week. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see how that trans, how this, you know, moves forward into ASU and Oregon um, both have stronger offenses, but I did like the energy and they did, they played with that boost. Um, and like you said, I'm watching practice. Sometimes it looks like Trent could actually like suit up and, play yeah he doesn't look like he's lost a step pretty pretty uh in in shape and ready to go offensively we we've been kind of critical of chance nolan past several weeks um he's struggled but i i thought he looked like he settled in this week do you think that's a matter of him being comfortable at home do you think it's a matter that oregon state never played from behind like we've seen the past few weeks what did you see from chance nolan I don't know what it was, but this, I, I would say it was arguably the best game of his career. If, if we're being honest, like looking at the numbers, um, he, he goes 19 of 25. That's a 76% completion rate, which is the second highest, highest of his career behind only the 78, 79 rate that he had at USC. Uh, two touchdowns to no picks. Obviously, you like to see that. It was uh, only his second turnover free game um, of conference play. Actually, now that I think of it, it was his only uh, turnover-free game of concert conference play because he didn't throw any interceptions at Utah, but he did have that fumble. Fumble, you're right. Uh, and then he also found the end zone uh, with his legs this week too. He recorded his first rushing touchdown of the season, which I kind of had to do a double take when I saw that this was his first rushing score of the year because obviously you think of Chance Nolan as this dual threat guy, which I mean he is, but oftentimes the, the, the quarterback that's running it in is Jack Coletto. Yeah. Um, I agree. And, and I, I think I turned to you at one point during the game. So the past two or three weeks, we've seen a lot of chance Nolan 
happy feet, dancing in the in the backfield, not really setting his feet. And we and we that we see that then when he lets balls sail over receiver's head. He had a couple overthrows, but he looked like he was in command. He looked confident. Um, it was. I I agree. I think USC. I I think to me just stood out, and maybe that was just because it was still early in the season, um, and it was USC and their defense. But um, yeah, he, it was his best game because he has really struggled the past couple weeks so much so that I even asked Coach Smith last week at the press conference what his thoughts were on you know changing up quarterbacks from time to time. But um, I, well, you know what struck me, Carter, in the offense was just how much the ball got spread around. So I'm just looking here, um, receiving. I mean, gosh, you, you had, I mean, Bradford had, again, a heck of a game, Trevon Bradford, longest touchdown of his career, 67 yards. That was kind of an, and it wasn't, didn't you tell me that was the longest of the season? Oregon State's longest passing play of the passing season play. and uh, Bradford's longest touched or his, his longest play of his career. Uh, second, the, the second longest was actually a 62 yarder against Stanford a couple of years back. So there's, there's something about playing against the Cardinal that, that Trevon really uh, thrives on. So 10 different receivers um, were targeted. Um, eight of them caught passes uh, looking at running backs. I mean, yes, led by BJ Baylor first running back in the pack 12 this season to hit the thousand yard mark, put him in pretty good company with former OSU grades. Deshaun Fenwick though, added 50 BJ ended the game with 80 um, Trey Lowe right there, 47 chance, Nolan, Jack Coletto, Anthony Gould and Trey Sean Harrison. So um, it was really spread out in the touchdowns. I mean, I'm thinking when you had chance had one Coletto had one BJ had one, um, well, nobody had more than one touch. Nobody had which, more than one. Which is yeah. Tegan had one. Kind yeah, of I rare, mean, especially when spread wide out. Yeah, especially when you're scoring five touchdowns in a game. Um, I, I was really pleased with the way that Oregon State spread the ball around, both in the running game and in the receiving department. I mean, you you go down the line and you see one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys took carries, uh, and I believe eight different players caught a pass yeah, so eight, eight. yeah I mean you're, you're spreading the ball around uh, in all facets of the game and that's something that I think Oregon State uh, can really play to you know it's it's depth in the receiving game and and at running back um, we, we talk so much about the depth that Oregon State has at the skill positions and we really saw that come to come to light this week and I mean everybody made plays everybody capitalized on their opportunities Still no sacks, but the other thing that stood out to me is time of time of possession. This also helps the defense when your offense can hold onto the ball for thir almost 37 minutes. Uh, Stanford had the ball for 23, 13. Um, your, your defense can stay fresh when you're, when you have the ball that little amount of time and offense control the clock. And that was in large part due to the run game, being able to run with as much, you know, ease as they were. Were you happy with the selection of play calls offensively? I was perfectly fine with it. Yeah, I thought this was a, a much better called game uh, than what we had seen the last couple of weeks. I think Oregon State went back to, you know, its strength. It, it ran the ball 51 times and threw it. Uh, where's the number here? 25. So, I mean, Oregon State ran a bunch of plays on offense. 76 is quite a few plays. Uh, but the distribution, I thought, was, was right about where it needed to be, especially against a Stanford team that gives up a ton of yards on the ground. 
Uh, Oregon State finished with 219, and I, I believe that was right about what Stanford was averaging, uh, giving up in, in the running game. But yeah, I, I think, you know, running the ball 51 times and passing it 25 was right about where they should have been. And uh, I think Lindgren and Smith kind of read the game and and called plays accordingly. And I, I didn't have a single problem with with any of the play calls, really. Yeah, that game never felt like Oregon State was going to, to lose. I mean, it was probably the most relaxed I've been watching a game all season. Um, we are up in the press box, and for the first time in a long time, so the, the coaches' booth is right, is right next door, and Oregon State is right next to the media booth. And we heard some hooting and hollering next door when, when that clock hit zero. So um, exciting times there. You, had, you were in the media room after the, the press conference, and you even had Coach Smith pop his head in and, and uh, talk to you. Is that right? Yeah, it was a cool moment. It was something that um, that you don't really expect from Coach Smith, you know, being so reserved and um, I, I guess you could say introverted. You know, it's he's not he's not one to go out of his way to to strike up conversation with the media. But a few of us were you know, working in the media room about an hour and a half after the game. He pops his head in and says, "You guys are still here. You're, you're still working." And you know, we let them know that uh, that the sixth win is a big one for us too. We got lots of stuff to write about. And, uh, you know, he said to enjoy our nights. And I think he was in a, I think he was in a pretty good mood. He was, <laughs> that was yeah, about, post- the, about the happiest I've ever seen Jonathan Smith. Yeah. I, I, so I, he even smiled a couple of times in the post-game press conference, which that doesn't happen all the time. So um, I know they got him with water, ice water. And um, I, I was struck too by, and I know Coach Smith celebrated these guys in the locker room, but the very first person to hit the podium in that post-game press conference was Andre Hughes-Murray. Um, there's a group, it's, it's really Andre, Jaden, Grant, and Trevon Bradford, who have, Trevon and Andre, I think, have been here. This is their sixth year. I think Jaden is fourth or fifth, maybe. Um, but those guys have been through a lot. They have been through the Gary Anderson debacle. Um, have been through coaching changes and you know I'll, I'll never forget it was summer it was one of the summer camps um, Oregon State that first season coach Smith was here and I was kind of standing down at one of the end zones and he was standing there and we, we kind of just struck up a friendly conversation um, and I told him I I do get to know players and and families over the years and that was the most broken I've ever seen an Oregon State team um, it was divided um, kids and their families were telling me that the the players didn't even want to play anymore, that they were even rethinking whether they even wanted to play football because it wasn't fun. Um, it, it was a very, very tall, steep hill that Coach Smith had to do. And it started with that culture. Um, and, I, and I told him what I knew about that part. And, um, you know, and I think he realized that too. Um, and so for to see the smile, Andre always has a smile, but to see that smile and him not even being able to put into words what that win last night meant, um, it was special. It gave me all the feels because uh, at some times I, I feel like I'm kind of the, the mom of the media and the players at some level, just because I have seen so much. And um, to see those guys see success, um, to see the smiles in the locker room afterward was was huge. Um, and then to see Coach Smith happy. I mean, it's, it hasn't been like he said in the interview too. It hasn't been all uh, uphill for you know easy for him either. They've gone through some stuff. So. Um, very fun moment, but I think there's some more fun moments ahead. Uh, ASU this week, Carter, we typically don't preview a lot, but did you see any of the ASU game against Washington? 
or were you just in working? Yeah, I, I didn't see any of it. Um, the, the the TV in the media room was showing the UCLA game, UCLA Colorado. So I was, you know, I saw some of the the score updates on the ticker at the bottom of the screen, but I didn't see any of it live. Oregon State's going to have, you know, their hands full with uh, Daniels and and that uh, ASU team. But what are your thoughts? Just early thoughts heading into this week, ASU. Well, it's going to be a test for the Trent Gray defense. You know, can you stop a mobile quarterback? Um, Ari Patu was a mobile quarterback, and Stanford obviously brought in a, a triple option guy who transferred in from Air Force. So I guess Bray's got a little bit of experience early in his defensive coordinator career uh, going up against mobile quarterbacks. But this is a different situation. You know, Daniels is probably a top three quarterback in this league one of the most dangerous dual threat guys in the country, if, if we're being honest. And uh, it's, it, we saw last year what he's capable of, you know, Arizona state torched the Oregon state defense last year. I can't remember what the, the exact point total was, but I believe it was around 50 yeah. um, in, in that last game of the season. So it, it's going to be a test, you know, Arizona state's got a lot of really good pieces on that offense and they bring back a ton of experience defensively too. So I know that, the Sun Devils haven't necessarily lived up to expectations this year. And I know there's some turmoil down in, in Tempe on the coaching staff and, and you name it, but um, they talent wise, they are still one of the top teams in the pac 12. So it's going to take a pretty clean game for Morgan state. Beavers are going to need to execute at a high level, but we've said it before and we'll say it again. I, I don't think there's a team in this conference that Oregon state can't beat. So they come out with their a game i i see them giving asu a fight and, and potentially coming out with a win so last year's score was 33 46 um that was december 19th a 7 30 kick on espn this is the third season in a row that asu has to come play oregon state in corvallis night game in november or december i like that i like the fact that they had to be up in washington this week as well but you're right it's it's going to be a test um then they have oregon game down in Eugene, which I don't know, Oregon has Utah this week. That's going to be a, that's, that's like the game of the season, I think, for the Pac-12. Utah opened as a two and a half point favorite against Oregon, by the way. Okay. Interessante, interessante. So senior day in Corvallis, 730 kick. Um, and I've heard rumors, rumblings that this is the uh, Fiesta Bowl celebration, 20 year, just a, a year late. So um, should be a good time in Corvallis. Last game in that old research side press box. We're shutting the, it down. Shutting it down. It's bad too, by the way. It's really bad. Um, but Carter and I've talked. He's seen several Pac-12 press boxes now. So off season, we, he's going to kind of compare, contrast, give us a, a peek inside some of those. Um, big game though, and a big opportunity. When was It's been years since we've talked about the Beavs having an opportunity to do something big. So um, it's, it's a fun time right now um, to be a Beaver fan. Um, and then you'll be at the next two games, ASU and Oregon. And, and they're two big ones too, because yeah. if, I, if I'm doing the math correctly, Oregon State, I believe, does still have a path to the Pac-12 championship. Okay, yeah, uh, help, help me if, with this, because now Washington so State, yeah, help let, me here. Let me pull up the Pac-12 standings here, okay. but I believe that if, Oregon loses to Utah and Oregon State beats Arizona. 
the Oregon Oregon State game becomes a de facto play in game for the Pac 12 championship. I need to see how Washington State factors into that. Um, yeah, because now, because okay, I thought Washington State, a... Washington State would need to lose to Washington for that okay. to be the case. So I, I don't think Washington lose... State's losing to Arizona. So, no. yeah, because because Oregon State and Washington State are currently tied in the loss column. Uh, they're both four and three. Okay. And obviously Washington State has the tiebreaker there. So they need some help, but the Beavers are not out of contention for the Pac-12 championship. Okay. Interesting. So, and then I was looking at bowl matchups since we can talk about that now. Um, it looks like first pick obviously is the Rose Bowl. And then it goes Alamo and Vegas. Is that how it is that how you're reading it, Carter? But, I can pull that. I can pull that up. But Rose Alamo Vegas is the top three. I know top for three. sure. But if you play in the Pac-12 championship game in Vegas, then you could flip with the. So the winner would go to the Rose Bowl, and then the second place in the Pac-12 championship game, since they already played in Vegas, they might play in Los Angeles Bowl. I think is how I. I know that there's there are two bowls that are interchangeable. And I believe it's Vegas and Alamo. Oh, so Vegas and Alamo. Okay. Um, I, I could be wrong there. Okay. But so there's, it's, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's all convoluted and everything. And there's, at any, at any rate, the, the bowls that the Pac 12 are tied into are, you have it pulled up. So I'm going to, I've got it pulled up. You want, okay. If you want me to read it yeah. off. So first place gets the Rose Bowl. Um, that obviously changes if Oregon makes the college football playoff. Uh, Rose Bowl, Alamo Bowl, Vegas Bowl. Holiday Bowl, Sun Bowl, LA Bowl. Okay. Uh, and then since the Red Box Bowl folded, uh, or at least not being played this year, the seventh bowl, if if seven teams are bowl eligible, would be, I believe, either the Armed Forces Bowl or the Gasparilla Bowl. Okay. Both of those being on the, the East Coast. Okay. Tampa wouldn't be bad, though. Gasparilla. First Responders Bowl is also another one. So okay. Our okay. Armed Forces, Gasparilla, and First Responder. Armed Forces and First Responders are both in Texas. Gasparilla Bowl is in Tampa. Okay. Okay. Well, I don't know. Do you have Do you have your, if you had your pick, where would you want to go? Uh, Rose Bowl. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's, okay. That's, I, I think that is a supreme long shot. So what's no, the next is. one? It, it is 100%. Um, I, I would say Alamo Bowl would be my second, yeah. but obviously then, you know, that also requires Oregon State to get to the Pac-12 championship because, you know, crunching the numbers, I think the only way that Oregon State gets in there is if they get past Oregon, Oregon doesn't make the playoff, they lose to Utah in the Pac-12 championship, Utah goes to the Rose Bowl. So I don't, I don't think that one's realistic. Vegas Bowl could very well happen. Um, I, this all season, I've kind of been thinking that Oregon State would end up right in that four range in the conference, which would put them at the Holiday Bowl, which I'd be more than fine with. I mean, I think that'd be go down to San Diego at Petco Park. It's a great venue. Um, I, I think that'd be a ton of fun. But the interesting thing is that one through seven right now are, are on the table for Oregon State. They, yeah. there is a possibility they could be in the Rose Bowl. There's a possibility they could be in the Gasparilla Bowl. So, the, but you know what? Uh, At the end of the day, the bees are bowling. Are yeah, the final two games of the season are going to, you know, shake everything out. But at the end of the day, Oregon State's going to bowl game. It's crazy. Tough games, though, coming up. Carter and I will be back next week 
for another episode of the damn podcast and uh, get down to research this weekend. Last one, big one. We'll be back next week for another episode of the damn podcast. In the meantime, check out feverblitz.com. I did forget to mention Carter. I just released the first edition of the defensive coordinator hot board. Lots of names on that list um, led by Trent Bray right now. I, I think he has to be at the top of the list seeing depending on how, how that shakes out. But um, I put a few interesting names on there because I think there's going to be a lot of people looking for jobs in the conference. The first one actually, I think already fell dominoes are falling with Jimmy Lake being uh, let go at Washington. Okay. There's been some controversy with Jimmy Lake. He does. He is, he knows Smith. They've worked together forever. If you have the shot to grab Jimmy Lake as your D coordinator, do you take it? I think so. But I, I think that Jonathan Smith knows best with that situation because yeah. he coached with him. Um, he knows better than anyone if if Jimmy Lake has the the potential to turn Oregon State's defense around because you know he spent time with him at Washington. So if if Smith thinks he's the man for the job, I'm all for it. To be honest, I think you know the situation on the sideline and the allegations that he you know shoved a player in 2019. That's not great optics, but I mean, you, you can't deny that he was a pretty good defensive coordinator at Washington. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Washington. And Washington's defense, even with him as a head coach, has been good. Um, I've got Peter Sermon on the list. Um, again, probably a long shot, but I think there's some turmoil at Cal right now with the whole city of Berkeley, um, COVID testing requirements that the rest of the Pac-12 is not requiring. So I think there's some, some issue there. Um, although if that happens... I've already heard rumors that Wilcox might be heading to Washington and he would most likely take that staff with him. Um, anyway, Bob Gregory, DC at Washington. There's eight or nine names right now. We will add throughout the season as you know, guys and, and we add updates as we hear things. So definitely get yourself into the lodge and check out the hot board. Um, I, I listed their, their current salary and everything. So you, you kind of get a good idea of where they might fall. And with that, Carter and I'll be back next week for another episode of the Damn Podcast.